Well, amazing. So good to have everybody here this morning as we continue our series called The Book. You know, the Bible is the most read book in history. It is the best-selling book in history, and it is the most translated book in history. And you may have heard once or twice before somebody call the book, the Bible, the Word of God. And we want to ask that question today. Can we really trust the Word as the Bible, as the Word of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. All Scripture is God-breathed. Circle that, God breathe. By the way, you should have some notes this morning that uh, you got on the way in. And uh, if you don't have them but would like some, maybe uh, you can put up your hand. My friend Jim over there will help pass those around. But it says, all scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We're going to talk about that another week. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The phrase that I want to hone in on this morning, Jim, right over here. Down the aisle there, beautiful. The phrase that I want to hone in on this morning is, all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. The word for that in Greek is theonoustos. Theo means God. God means noustos. The scripture declares by itself that it is the breath of God. Psalm 119 tells us all of your commands can be trusted. Everything in the Bible... uh, Excuse me? Okay. I like to challenge some of your methods. Okay. Yeah. You know what? You're not the first person to ask that question. So Detective Cinnamon Roll, I'd just like to invite you to stay uh, and I'd love for you to just uh, to, to follow along with us. I think you might find some evidence this morning that's going to allow you to come to a conclusion as to whether or not the Bible really is the word of God. But you're not the first person to ask this question. In fact, Time Magazine has put this very thing on their cover more than once. You see on the first one there, it says, how true is the Bible? And then they did it again. They said, is the Bible fact or fiction? We want to look at that today. Can we trust the Bible as the word of God? Well, I'm going to give you seven reasons that I believe that we can trust the Bible as the word of God. And I want to invite you to consider them and make a decision for yourselves. The Bible is historically accurate. That's our first reason this morning. I know that I can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. It's not just accurate in terms of what it teaches when it comes to theology or ethics or morality. The Bible is comprised of real places and real people at real time. It is true historically. Why is that important? Because the Bible tells us this. God cannot lie. Somebody asked me, is there anything that God cannot do? And the answer is yes. God cannot lie because God is truth. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie because God is truth. If this book has one lie in it, it is not a godly book. Psalm 33 verse 4 says, the word of the Lord is right and true. It's not only true about salvation, it is true about history. So how do we know that the Bible is historically accurate? By the same criterion that we apply to any other historical event that we were not present to witness for ourselves and that GoPros and phones didn't exist yet for us to watch on YouTube. How do we know that the War of 1812 actually happened when none of us were in the room to witness it for ourselves? Well, historians have a series of criteria by which they evaluate whether something is 
accurate and we can trust it, or if it's something that is not accurate and we need to dismiss it. The main criteria that they do first is to ask the question, is this document a first-hand document? Is it second-hand? Is it third-hand? Or is this a series of legends that have been passed down over hundreds of years? The Bible is primarily eyewitness accounts, and that's one of the reasons that we can trust it as good his history. Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they wrote down what happened. Matthew was there, and he wrote it down. John was there, and he wrote it down. Peter was there, and he told a guy named Mark about it, and Mark wrote it down. Luke talked to everybody that was there, including the mother of Jesus, and wrote down what happened. The Bible is comprised mainly of eyewitness accounts. The other test of history by which we know that the Bible is accurate is the extreme care with which it was initially copied. We know that there were no Xerox machines, that there were no copy machines, and so it stands to reason... Oh, uh, Detective Cinnamon Roll. All right. You have something to uh, add this morning. Yes. The first few copies were accurate. How do you know over thousands of years that it wasn't messed up over time? Sure. Okay, I see that. Pop the balloon to clown college. We guys, if we played telephone before, we understand that what we start with isn't always what we end up with. And when it comes to our own humanity, we mishear, we miscommunicate, we misrepresent, uh, and all of those things are going to happen. And so if the Bible were a man-made book, it stands to reason that over time, there would have been significant changes. Well, these scribes were so particular in the way that they copied these texts, they knew the middle letter of the Bible. And they would go to that middle letter and they would count forward and they would count backward, letter by letter. And if it was one letter off before or after, they would throw the entire thing out and start all over again. One of the ways that we know that we can see this with observable evidence is something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written about 100 years before Jesus, and in them they contain all of the books of the Old Testament except for Esther. Before we had our hands on the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest copies, the earliest copies that we had before them were dated 900 years after Jesus. So now we have a 1,000-year gap where we're actually able to compare how much this has changed over time. And if this were man-made, we would expect there to be a significant difference between the beginning and the end over the course of a thousand years. Could you imagine a thousand-year version of telephone? Well, when we compare what we had a thousand years ago to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the difference in it is only 5%. And almost all of that difference is only the spelling of names. One of the reasons that we know that the Bible is historically accurate is because we have this document called the Dead Sea Scrolls that shows the accuracy that the scribes used to record it. Another reason that we know that the Bible is historically accurate is because of how archaeology works. And again and again, it shows us that the Bible is actually more accurate than our understanding of history. Let me give you one of the examples. There's an empire that you can read about in the Bible called the Hittites. Now, for many, many years, historians thought that the Bible was made up because you could not find any other documentation about the Hittites. And so they said that must mean that the Bible is false. 
Well, that was only until the early 1900s when there was a professor of the name Hugo Winkler, and he discovered 10,000 clay tablets at the capital of the Hittites. And now everyone believes in the Hittites. You can Google that. Not only is the Bible historically accurate, archaeology backs it up. It is also, and this is our second point this morning, scientifically accurate. The second reason that we can trust the Bible is that it's scientifically accurate. You know, I've heard people say that we can't trust the Bible because it's inaccurate in terms of science. And I believe that when that happens, A, they haven't really read the Bible, and B, perhaps they don't completely understand science. Because God made the laws of science, he doesn't contradict them in his word. Let me preface this conversation with this fact. The Bible is not meant to be a science textbook. All right. If you wanted to learn to become a theoretical physicist or build a rocket, you would not read the Bible to get that information. It's not a science textbook, but the Bible never, never gives bad science. You know, there were ideas that we thought were wrong in terms of science, what we knew a thousand years ago, that have been disproven since that time. There's a famous mathematician and astronomer named Johannes Kepler, and he says, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. One thing about truth is that truth never changes. And one thing about science is that science constantly changes. I don't know about you kids, but when I grew up, I was taught that Pluto was a planet. How many people here today are being taught that Pluto is a planet? Nobody, right? Is that news to somebody that Pluto is no longer a planet? It rocked my world. Why? I was like, what did Pluto ever do, right? We know today that Pluto is not a planet because we understand some things better that we didn't understand before. There's nothing more useless than an obsolete science textbook. If you were to visit Paris, France, you might end up visiting a museum called the Louvre. It's an art gallery and museum world famous. And in that museum, they have a library, a single hallway filled with 1,500 years of science textbooks with information that we no longer believe to be true. That hallway of obsolete science facts are, is five and a half kilometers long. Science constantly changes. If you were reading the Bible a thousand years ago or 700 years ago or 10 years ago, you would have seen that sometimes the science of the day does not match what's in the Bible. But God understands stuff even when we don't and his rules don't change. Psalm 148 says, let every created thing, that is the whole universe, give praise to the Lord for he issued his command. He commanded the rules of motion, the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics, and they came into being. He established them forever and ever, and all his orders will never be revoked. Truth does not change. One of the reasons that we know that the Bible is not man-made, that it's not coming directly from humans, but rather from God, is by what is not in the Bible. If you were expecting the Bible to be a book that somebody made up in order to obtain power and influence and fame, that you would expect the thoughts and beliefs of the day that everybody thinks is true to be in the Bible. Yet that's not the case whatsoever. And many times those thoughts in the Bible contradict the popular scientific beliefs of the day. For instance, thousands and thousands of years ago, or four thousands and thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. Now I know that there is a growing contingency of people who now believe that as well. They call themselves flat earthers. Uh, I'm just going to put something up on the uh, screen here. I'll leave that for you to just sink in a moment. The Flat Earth Society has members all around the globe. If 
By the way, this was posted by the Flat Earth Society. And so uh, that, we'll just leave that right there. But for thousands of years, people believed the Earth to be flat. And it wasn't until Copernicus and Galileo that we discovered that the Earth is not flat, but is indeed a sphere. Not a single verse in the Bible says the Earth is flat. Not at all. In fact, it says the opposite. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, thousands of years before, says God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. If you are writing a book, falsifying something to convince people that you are correct or to, to play a practical joke, you would not put something in that would contradict the science of that day. For thousands of years, people believed that the earth had to be held up on something. And depending upon the culture that you are in, changed what you thought was holding up the earth. The Greeks, and many of the, much of the Bible is composed by the Greek language, the Greeks believed that the earth was held up by a giant named Atlas. Hindus, for a long time, believed that the earth was held up by sitting, it was placed upon the back of a giant elephant, and that earthquakes were what happened when the elephant began to walk, right? Now, that elephant was placed upon the back of a giant turtle, and the giant turtle was placed upon the back of a giant serpent, which swam through the cosmos, the Egyptians were flat out brilliant, okay? They understood so much about architecture and engineering and astronomy, but they were flat wrong about what held up the earth. You see, Moses was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. And so he would have been schooled with the best information, the best thoughts of the day when it comes to science about what held up the earth. And the uh, Egyptians believed that the earth sat on the back of five pillars. But the Bible says nothing about the earth being flat or sitting on the back of pillars. And why didn't it make it in? Because it's not true. The oldest book that we have, the oldest writing known to man is the book of Job. The book of Job says this. In chapter 26, verse 7, God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Who told Job? How did he know? God told Job. You know, I'm reinforcing this idea because I do think that it is sheer nonsense to say that science contradicts what the word of God has to say. For many years, I don't know, maybe we have some medical doctors in the room, but for many years, the best medical science said that sickness was within our blood. And that if somebody had a sickness or a disease or a poor temperament, that the solution was to cut them open and allow them to bleed. This was medical professional science for a long time. Now, George Washington, the first president of the United States, was not feeling well. He went into his doctor and they bloodletted George Washington. After a few days, he didn't get any better. So he went back and they did it again. After a few days, he still wasn't feeling better. He went back a third time, and they did it again. George Washington died from blood loss. Today, we know that you give people blood when they're sick. You don't take it away. But the Bible knew it before, even when we didn't. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, The life of every creature is in its blood. How did Moses know that? We didn't even know that until around the year 1650. Yet, thousands of years ago, God said in his word, the life of every creature is in its blood. You know, we could go on and on this morning, but the Bible is scientifically accurate. In fact, it's ahead of science. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is flawless. Mine are not. I make mistakes. 
Your words are not flawless, right? You might say, my spouse's words are not flawless, but God's word is. Every word is flawless. And Psalm 12, verse 6 says, the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay and purified seven times. So we know that we can trust the Bible because it's historically accurate. Archaeology confirms it, and it is scientifically accurate. The third reason today that I'm going to give you that we can trust the Bible as the word of God is that it is prophetically accurate. What does that mean? It means that the Bible has made thousands and thousands of predictions, and all of them have happened as the Bible says, and there are still a few yet to happen. But let's look specifically at the person of Jesus. There are over 300 prophecies, predictions about the life of the Messiah. Now, all of the Jewish people would have known what these predictions were, and some people have said that perhaps the reason that these things happened to Jesus was because he wanted power and influence and fame. And so he tried to make it happen in his life. But here's the problem. There are prophecies about how he will be born, where he will be born, when he will be born, how he will die, when he will die, the, the manner in which he will die. All of these things that you could not make happen as an individual if you tried. There are over 300 prophecies, and each one of them have been fulfilled. What are the odds of me making 300 predictions about you and all of them coming true? If that happened, you would say that, that somebody had to plan that, that the odds are astronomical, and it would take more faith to believe that that is just a coincidence than somebody put it together in the first place. You know, David, thousand, a thousand years before Jesus was hung on the cross, David wrote about the death of Jesus and his crucifixion. Now, David didn't use the word crucifixion because at the time, crucifixion didn't exist. The Roman Empire had not thought up crucifixion yet, yet David was able to describe exactly what it was and how it looked like. How did he know that? God told him. The Bible says in 2 Peter, no prophecy ever originated from humans. People didn't just sit around and say, let's think this one up and write it down. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. All right, everybody, Detective Cinnamon Roll is back with us again, yeah. Sure. Yeah, uh, I thank you for your insight there, uh, Detective Cinnamon Roll, but uh, you're wrong. Nobody wanted to be a prophet because the law said in Israel that if you were a prophet, you had to get it right 100% of the time. Not 99, not 98, 100% of the time. And do you know what happened, Detective Cinnamon Roll, to anyone who got it wrong once? They were killed. They were killed. Nobody wanted to be a prophet. And the only way that you would say that this is God speaking is if you were entirely convinced that it was God speaking. Because as soon as you open your mouth, you are putting your life on the line. Matthew 26 says, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in scriptures. Revelation 22. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and they're true. Why? Because they're from God. The Lord sent his angel to show his servants that, things, uh, that the things that must soon take place. It is prophetically accurate. And the odds of everything happening as they did over thousands of years are astronomical. 
The fourth reason that we can know that the Bible is trustworthy is that it is thematically unified. What does that mean? The Bible has one theme from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, a theme of redemption, and Jesus is the star. What is the big deal about that? Because I know so many books that have one theme from the beginning to the end. Right? It's, it's not mind-blowing, but that makes sense when you have one author and you have the book written at one time. The Bible isn't just one book. It's actually a collection of books, 66 books, written over the span of 1,600 years, found in three languages on three continents with 40 different authors that lived at different times and didn't know about each other, yet it all comes back with the same story. See, it wasn't even collected in one book until a thousand years later after they died. And how do you think they knew what to write? Well, you know what? I want to give you an example of this. And Detective Cinnamon Roll, I think I'm going to be able to prove this to you. All right? So here's what I need. I need a couple uh, kids to help me out. Can we have some kids to help me out? Kids, you can just put up your hand and run forward. Come and run forward right now. Right now, as fast as you can. Yes, the flash right here. So grab this here. One for you. We need a few more kids or some adults. Child, kids at heart. We need some volunteers. I need one volunteer for every piece of paper. Come on, come on, help me out. Will you serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this capacity? All right. Thank you, Pastor John. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. There we go. We've got uh, just a few more here. So I'm going to give that one to you. I'm going to give that one to you. Yes, you're on over here. And Diane, there we go. And when you don't volunteer, you get volunteered. Okay, so here's what's going to happen, guys. I want everybody that has a piece of paper to rip it into a shape that they want. It could be any shape. I will need the ripped pieces of paper back. And I have a plan, but I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do with them. All right? So you've got 10 seconds right now. Rip them. Rip them. And as they have been ripped, Detective Cinnamon Roll, go and grab it. Go and grab it. All right? Hand it to Detective Cinnamon Roll, please. Nice and fast. Once you've ripped it, you can go have a seat. Thank you very much. If you have ripped and handed it back, go have a seat. Asher, you can go have a seat, buddy. Bring Pikachu with you. Beautiful. All right. Hand it over to him. There we go. There we go. Nice and fast. One shape, one shape. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Diane, merci beaucoup. There we go. Interesting. This is good enough. All right. Now, Detective Cinema Roll, we have, I believe, all of them here. There are 13 sheets of paper that have been ripped into several different shapes. Here is what I would like you to do. On this board over here, you can probably already guess what I'm going to ask you to do, right? As you can see from these pieces of tape so neatly organized on this sheet of paper, I need you to make a perfect map of Canada. Each one of those sheets of paper are a province or a territory. So I want you to go ahead and make a perfect map of Canada with those 13 different sheets of paper. All right? There we go. It's not working out very well, is it? My friends, yes, it's not going to work. Have a seat, Detective Snip and Roll. Guys, if that actually worked, would you really believe that that was a fluke? Would you really believe that that was just how everybody ended up ripping them? You would believe that that must have been pre-arranged and designed in order for that to be perfectly the map of Canada, right? Well, the Bible isn't just 13 sheets of paper ripped by the same people in the same room at the same time. It's 66 books written in three languages over three continents over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. Yet it says the same thing from the beginning to the end. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. The fifth way that I can trust the Bible is that it's confirmed by Jesus. Jesus trusted the Bible. 
You might have heard somebody say, or even thought to yourself, you know, I can trust what that Jesus guy said, but some of those other things that are hard for me to wrap my mind around, place yourself in the shoes of the person listening to Galileo, hearing for the first time that the earth is not flat, but it is a sphere. It is difficult for us to wrap our mind around some of these stories or things that we read in the Bible, and I understand in our humanity how we get to that place. I totally comprehend how we get to that place of, I can trust Jesus, but I don't trust the rest. Well, here is the problem with that. I want to push back on it. Jesus trusted the rest of the Bible. In fact, Jesus used the scripture to teach. The challenging scriptures that we can think of, Jesus begins to teach them. And if we believe in the Bible, just the parts that we like and ignore the parts that we don't like, we're not trusting Jesus, we're trusting ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found that my emotions and that my opinions are not always trustworthy. I trust Jesus, and Jesus trusted the Bible, and that's one of the reasons that I trust the Bible. That doesn't mean that we have to turn our minds off. It doesn't mean that we can't have questions or things to wrestle through, or there, there aren't any further mysteries for us to understand, but trusting the Bible looks like trusting Jesus. The sixth reason that you can trust the Bible as the absolute authoritative word of God is that it has survived all attacks. You know, the Bible is an unusual book. It is the most despised book, the most derided, the most denied, the most disputed, the most dissected, the most debated, the most outlawed, the most destroyed, and the most banned book in history. There are people who have lost their lives because they have refused to give up their Bible. And there are places in our world today that if you go and bring a Bible with you and are found out, that you will end up in prison and quite possibly lose your life. The Bible has been under attack for century after century after century by everything that you can imagine. Yet it is still the most read book in history. Yet it is still the best-selling book in history and is making a difference in people's lives. Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The only thing on this planet that will not pass away is the word of God. Voltaire is a famous French philosopher that lived many years ago. He's a brilliant man. He was also an atheist. And he has this quote that I'd like to share with you this morning. He said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Everybody has forgotten that quote. After Voltaire died, for nearly 100 years, his homestead was used as the book depository for the French Bible Society. His home was used to sell Bibles. And today it's a museum. Nobody has forgotten that verse, but many people have forgotten what Voltaire said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. 1 Peter 1, 24-25 says the grass withers and the flowers fall. In other words, temporary stuff just wilts. Today's news is worthless tomorrow. You are not going to be looking for last week's newspaper in order to read tomorrow morning. But the word of God stands forever, and the truth will always be the truth. You know, it doesn't, tell, it doesn't matter. Kids, if I tell you that I don't believe in something, I could say, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe, until my head goes, like, until I go crazy, right? But as long as it's still true, truth is still truth. And I want to, you know, but there, but there is one thing. There is one thing that I think many people here this morning might believe that I don't believe in at all. Kids, can you guess what it is? It's the law of gravity, all right? I do not believe 
in the law of gravity. I just, it doesn't happen. It's not, it doesn't matter. You can believe your truth is your truth, guys. But, but my truth is my truth. And so today, I would just like to demonstrate for you how the law of gravity is not a real thing, okay? So I'm going to invite Detective Simonroll to come in an experiment. We're going to observe this. Now you have a seat here. Okay, come on, come on, come on. All right, um, you might want to wear these. Uh, you know, you're not going to need them, of course. Uh, we got some goggles. But when you do a science experiment, you have to practice safety. All right, kids, that's very important. So let's, let's put those on right there. Okay, there we go. Nice and comfy. All right, guys. Now, here I have a bucket of water. All right, it's filled with water. But because I don't believe in the law of gravity, when I turn it over his head, absolutely nothing is going to happen. You know what, guys? That was just a fluke. That's absolutely a fluke. And everybody knows that good science has reproducible results, all right? So I need Emily to come and join me at the front of the room here. Uh, we're just going to demonstrate that that was absolutely a fluke. And uh, Emily, come on, help me out. Let's see. Let's show them once and for all that the law of gravity is not a real thing. All right. Okay. You know, things are kind of changing here. Um, I think we have a few scientists in the room, right? Uh, is, is two times like a, a sufficient sample size for any result? No, you couldn't trust a sample size of two. So Candace, I need you to help me out over here. Once and for all, the law of gravity is, is not a real thing. Wow. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you, girls. And thank you very much, uh, Detective Cinnamon Roll. Uh, you may have a seat. Yeah, just go ahead. Off the stage there, bro. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Hop, hop. Let's go, buddy. Careful. Please don't get the seat wet. All right. <laughs> you know what, guys? Truth is truth. And it doesn't matter if I say that I don't believe in something until I am blue in the face. Truth is truth all the time. There we go. All right. That's, that looks really cozy over there. All right. Some guys, sometimes this is the way that people are living their lives. And they say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that the Bible is, has any authority in my life because I think it's just all made up. It's a series of legends or, or maybe that Jesus guy that he was just a good moral teacher and maybe there's something to learn, but it's, it's not real history. Well, the truth is we can say, I don't believe until we're blue in the face, but the truth is the truth. And one day we will have an encounter with God. We will stand face to face with him, whether we believe in him or not. And all of the saying, I don't believe in him, will not stop that from happening. And the seventh and the final, uh-oh, you okay? All right, good. All right, we've got some, uh, a slip hazard up here at the front of the room. The seventh reason that we can trust the Bible as the most authoritative word of God is the most objective reason, but it's also the one that I've seen happen personally the most, and it's the transforming power of God. The Bible has a transforming power. Nothing can change the lives of people like this book. You know, there are kids, and there are adults, and there are seniors that are in this room today, and that are watching this and listening to this online later on and, and years down the road, that would testify to the fact that this book transformed their lives. You know, I know that we have an election coming up and that, you know, many people begin to put their hope 
and a future for change and for, uh, and for good things to come out of the result of election. We begin to put our hope in politicians. And, and I, I encourage you, I think it's important for us to have a voice and for us to participate and for us to vote, but I'm also under absolutely no illusion that the politician of any political party will have any chance at solving the world's greatest problems. Because the reality is you can pass a law that says it's illegal to be a racist. It's illegal to be a bigot. And the law will not change somebody's hearts. It's only the word of God and the presence of God that can transform somebody's heart and somebody's life. Jesus says it like this in the book of John. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Look, I want you to be free. And the most amazing thing is this, guys. That there are places all around the world, secular, non-religious places, maybe have some faith or none at all, who are very familiar with this verse. Like, whether this is your first time in a church or not, or hearing about the Bible, you've heard that phrase before, the truth will set you. But here's the thing. Many of us forget the first half of it. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It's not just if you go out and make up your own truth. Or make up your own opinion. Or watch Dr. Oz. Or the Joe Rogan experience. And write some sort of article or blog about it. That will not set you free. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Because this book doesn't lie to you. Even when you disagree with it. Even when it makes you uncomfortable. Even when it hurts, it always tells the truth, and that is why it's called the Holy Bible. Do you believe everything you read online? I hope not. Do you believe everything you see on TV? Do you believe everything you read in the newspaper? So why would we spend more time watching and reading stuff that we know is a lie than reading what we know to be true? I have concluded. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think this, this demands a, a moment here. Okay, all right. I'm missing my key. Yes, okay. Uh, based upon history, science, and the themes in the Bible, that I can trust what it says. Oh. All right, amazing. Thank you, uh, Detective Cinnamon Roll. You can have a seat if you like. There we go. Or you can go. It's all beautiful. All right, it's so comfy, guys. This is available for spontaneous baptism after the service, okay? The fundamental question, the most important question that we need to ask ourselves today. I told you I'm not going to tell you what to think. And I promise I'm not going to tell you what to think. But I want to give you the information. I want to give you the facts and the evidence that can help you come to a place where you make a decision for yourself. Is this a historical document which archaeology confirms and science confirms and is thematically unified that we can trust because of the words of Jesus and its lasting power and its transforming power? Is this something that we can trust as the word of God? And if the answer is yes, what does that say about the way that we live our lives? If this really is the word of God, what has the final authority in our life? Do I listen to what God says is true? Or am I going to listen to public opinion or my feelings? Who's going to be the authority in my life, God or me? Why is the inerrancy and the infallibility and the flawlessness of God's word so important. Romans chapter 12 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
It's talking about the way that we think. Do not conform yourself to the pattern of this worldview, of these opinions, of the attitudes of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says that you're either a conformist or a transformist. You've been conformed to the patterns of this world, the way that it thinks, or you're transformed by the truth. And then you will be able to test. You will know. That's how we make good decisions and approve what God's good will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's plan for your life is good. God's plan for your life is pleasing. And God's plan for your life is perfect. But you're only going to know it through his perfect word. Can we pray together today? So, Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for how all of these other pieces of evidence that we use to justify and to substantiate the claims of anything that's even outside of the Bible, how, how that's not held in contradiction to what you have said in your word. But in fact, it supports us, and it, it all points to you. Father, I pray that as we come together now in your word, that you would convict our hearts, that you would that you just speak to us. And if there's anything inside of us that needs to change, Lord God, that you would speak that to us and that we respond with humility and begin to do it and walk it out in our lives. Father God, I pray for anybody here this morning who maybe has just begun to have a sliver of belief. And we thank you, Lord God, that your truth can transform lives. And we just pray for them right now that you would continue to speak to them as the week moves on. Father God, we pray for the courage, for the boldness, and for the wisdom to make what you say the authority of our lives and to overpower, to, to, to speak at the same time as those temptations and those lies and the, the shifting sand of our culture, Lord God, that, that we would hear you clearly and that we would obey you in all that you say and lead us to do. Father God, continue to use your word to set us on the right path, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. So good. Guys, did you have fun this morning? Did you have fun? Yeah? Detective Cinnamon Roll, did you have fun? Yes, sir. <laughs> Amazing, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, there are three things that I need you to do, guys. We're going to continue in our series called The Book next week. If you're not in a group already, you need to sign up today because they begin tomorrow. Don't they, Detective? They begin tomorrow, and you need to sign up today. If you're already in a group, I want you to invite a friend to join you, a friend that isn't already a part of a church, to begin this conversation about faith in an environment that has free food and no obligation and no judgment. And finally, I'd love for you to continue to commit to plugging in with us, even on those Sundays that you're not able to join us, that you would track along with us online. We'll see you again. Oh, we've got one more thing to do, don't we? Detective. Yeah. We have something very important left to do, right? We told you that we're going to do memory verse every week. And so it's time for our memory verse. Kids, you're going to help out with this as well. Detective, what is it? We're going to put it up on the screen. Alrighty. What is it? Our memory verse for the week. Colossians 3.16. You guys remember that? What is it? Colossians 3.16. Uh -huh. Say it with me. Let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. What's the word? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Awesome. Oh, nice. Very good. Very good. All right. Can we take that down? Can we take that down? See if we do it all together. All right. Let's bring that off the screen. There we go. All right. Okay. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly.
Where is that found? What does it say? Amazing. You're looking at the sheet? Are you kidding me? Bro, these kids got it. You're the detective. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much, kids. I hope you had a blast. If you didn't get a busy bag on your way in, there's some treats for you as you go, and the memory verse is in there as well. So make sure you pick that up. And there's some snacks in the cafe. No need to run off this morning. And just a quick reminder, somewhat unrelated, that we will have our reno in the nursery in just a little while as the crowd begins to disperse. If you're staying, we're going to do some painting. We're going to equip it so that beginning next week, we've got a nursery ministry for all the babies that we've got coming on out. So thank you, guys. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday.